Welcome back to another episode of Rippin' Hoops. It has been a while since we recorded. Things got busy. We had Thanksgiving, holiday plans. I was at the PK Invitational, and then some family stuff came up. But we are finally back. Carson, how are we doing? Um, I mean, we could be doing better uh, as a Blazer fan. But yeah, uh, good to be back. But uh, the Blazers have kind of hit a lull in the season. It seems like all those games that, you know, we were winning at the beginning of the year, everything going our way, kind of we took a step back and kind of got the opposite of it, got the opposite side of the spectrum and didn't seem like any of the bounces um, were going our way towards the end of the game like they were at the beginning of the season. Um, and they even out, right? So if you were to tell me that Lillard was to miss half of the first 26 games of the season and we have a positive record, I think I probably would take that. Um, but just for how good the Blazers started the season, it is a little bit disappointing um, the last couple of games to kind of see that they hit a lull uh, in the season. Yeah, I think they're kind of on an upward trend now. But since our last podcast, they they barely beat the Spurs in a comeback win. They lost to the Nets in a very close game, lost to the Jazz in a close game, lost to the Bucks in a fairly close game. And then a lot of this is without Lillard. They got blown out by the Cavs. They beat the Knicks in a very close game, um, got beat pretty badly by the Nets, um, blew like a 16-point lead or something to the Clippers, uh, got blown out by the Lakers, and then beat the Jazz. And then the other three games we're going to talk about more in depth. Um, but yeah, kind of a rough stretch for the Blazers, so wouldn't have been the easiest thing to talk about if we were recording, but we'll kind of just skip over those games because... I don't think Blazer fans really want to hear about all those losses, honestly. Yeah, and I don't know if they want a four-hour podcast either. No, I don't think they want a four-hour podcast. I think they just want to hear about the recent games, hear about the the upward trend that we have with Lillard, Lillard back. Um, so to start off, our defense went from being in the top five now to number 24 in the NBA as of today. So that kind of took a decline. I think we thought it would go down a little bit, but not that bad do you think that mostly is just teams catching on to the zone or I think a little bit of both um I think having Anthony when Dame's we know Dame's not a really good defender but Anthony's even a worse defender so when Anthony's having to guard the primary ball handler um not the not the best scenario um Anthony was kind of the reason why we lost that game to the Nets as well at home um for getting the box out um, on Royce O'Neal, who got that tip in at the end of the game. Um, I would say that the the Nets game and then the game that we're going to talk about with the Nuggets are probably the two games that hurt the most, losing those games at home kind of on last-second shots from the other team. If we win those two games, you know, we're 16-10 and 10 and we're a top-three seed in the West right now. Um, but it just didn't go our way. Um, but, yeah, I would say that the defense is kind of – came back to what they were last year a little bit um not rotating as much and kind of with the zone um you want to make sure that everyone's on page and if one person doesn't know where they are in the zone then one and everything can be uh thrown off so um the communication's been uh, a little lackadaisical i would say than what it was at the beginning of the year yeah and like you said if we'd won those games would be 16 and 10 um we'd be in the three seed right now, but at the same time, things are still close. We are the sixth seed right now. 
at 14 and 12, and we're only one game up of the 11 seed Wolves, who we played last night. But at the same time, we're only two games back of the three seed Nuggets, uh, three games back of the two seed Grizzlies, four games back of the one seed Pelicans. So it's not the end of the world. Things are just going to be really tight in the West this year. I think there's just a lot of loaded teams. Um, I'd like to say that the only bad teams right now are the Spurs and Rockets, but the Rockets beat the Bucks tonight with Giannis. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah, the Rockets. The Rockets game was um, awesome, and it was really cool to see that um, the Rockets kind of pulling out for their their coach because uh, his his father, I think it, it, Paul Silas, passed away today, and he wasn't able to really be he he wasn't there for the game and their team kind of came out and beat one of the best teams in the NBA so it was really cool to see and the emotion that that team showed today from the Rockets but yeah I would say that in the West there's really only two teams that are uh, tanking for Wembenyama you would think that Oklahoma City probably will um, be in that scenario later down the season but the way that some of those guys have been playing um, they've put a respectable number of wins on the board for him yeah totally agree the west is loaded and it's going to be this way the whole time but before we get into specific games i think kind of the theme of the blazers struggles was closing out games um starting the fourth quarter we were pretty consistently doing poorly when we'd put like some bench guys in putting sharp in who's been really bad um i'm still very high on him but he's been in a rookie slump since the Brooklyn game, he's averaging 5.1 points per game on 33% from the field and 14% from three. The good news is the Blazers had have had the number one strength of schedule in the league. Such, gosh, I can't talk today. Number one strength of schedule in the league thus far and have one of the easiest remaining schedules in the league for the rest of the year. Um, many sites have us as the easiest schedule remaining. Um, I think the only reason that some have us harder is because they take in like travel miles, which we are always number one in. Um, and then hopefully Gary Payton comes back soon. We have Lillard back now. Payton has been practicing, not full practices, but three on three and stuff. Gary, so I Gary, think things... Payton, Gary Payton's starting to get on my nerves a little bit because I know how good he could be in this team um, that we're struggling on defense as much as we are, especially in the guard position. And Winslow's minutes are kind of been meaning me meaningless the last couple of games and if we had gp2 in that scenario um i think we could have won a lot more games and it's just really annoying kind of seeing gp2 every every day questionable coming into a game with conditioning and he's just not conditioned it feels like he's going to be conditioning until like 2040 i don't know well, it's annoying because it reminds you of Festus Azili, but it's also annoying because I think the team has done a poor job of reporting it. Like, they keep saying he's going to be that, you know. They were hinting at the Spurs game back in November. Then it got pushed out two weeks, gets pushed out two weeks again. It gets pushed out again. Then they say he's doing full practice. Then they delete those tweets and say he only did half practice. So I think the team is also doing a poor job of reporting on it, and I don't know if that's because he's very up and down with how he's feeling or if he's re-aggravated the injury, but we hope he's back soon. I, I weirdly have some hope he's going to play tomorrow. I'm probably being pretty optimistic, but it would be nice. It would come out with that questionable tag conditioning, but yeah, it probably will happen. But you said we need him, you know, on defense, we could have used him on Jamal Murray down the stretch. We could have used him on voice O'Neal down the stretch. We probably would yeah. be 16 and 10 or yeah, 16 I mean, and 12. That, that... He said, that Jamal Murray shot was, we'll talk about it, but it was a little, 
I mean, we had Jamie Grant on him, who's a really good defender, long. Um, and I think the night before, the game before, Jamal Murray had a shot to win it, and he didn't make it, but then he made it against us. So, um, yeah, just a little bit of unluckiness there. But like I said, we had things go our way in the Lakers game early in the year, the Suns game early in the year. Um, and then they just kind of Miami, Miami as well. So they just came back and they even out usually most of the time. Um, I mean, the Blazers are the only team in the West uh, in the top six right now that has a negative um, point differential. So, I mean, I think, I think every team in the one through 10 uh, in the standings has a positive point differential besides the Blazers and the Clippers. Um, and a lot of that from the Clippers is because that they, they have nights where they just sit all of their stars and lose by 30 or 40. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Blazers having Lillard back has definitely helped out. It seems like uh, the playmaking and kind of creating shots for others has improved as well in the last couple of games um, where I feel like Simons was kind of a little bit inconsistent at times where he would just settle for three pointers and not get other people involved. But um, yeah, I feel like we're back on the upslope. Uh, for the Blazers for these upcoming games this week and uh, the future. Yeah, and to get into specifics, uh, Lillard's return came against the Pacers. Uh, the Pacers were without Tyrese Halliburton in this game, which I know you were really disappointed by. You were going to go to the game, but he was out. I was sitting I was sitting courtside. Those are the best seats I've ever had. So I had a lot of fun, but you, you did not make it, did you? I did not. Kind of just ruined my spirits. Um, I was super excited to see Tyrese, of course. We'll get into him later, and uh, just this, I wouldn't say it's a surprise for me, but just around the NBA of how good of a season he's having and how good of a team he's actually made the Pacers. We talked about how the Pacers were one of the bottom half teams in the NBA with our over-unders, and the, he's made the Pacers relevant and a team that we thought was definitely going to be tanking for Wembenyama. They're just too good to tank for him, and a lot of that is because of Halliburton. Are you going to ask for Christmas for the uh, Pacers basketball makes me Nemhard t-shirt? I might have to, man. I, I mean, I know you know a lot more about him because you went to all the games uh, your senior year when, I, I mean, I guess he, he he was a senior, right? So you went to all the games, freshman through senior probably, right? Well, no, we didn't have, so I didn't go to any games really after COVID because they didn't have any home games. So I went my junior year on senior night um, to a game and I was looking at the seniors and I was like, wow, this is sad. This is their last game. You know, that'll be me next year. But turns out that was my last game as well. I did not know. <laughs> but to your point, I did go to March Madness in um, Portland and in San Francisco. So I saw him play three times and then I went to Vegas for the WCC tournament where I saw him play two or three times as well. I so mean, I yeah, I mean, a lot of good players. I mean, usually if you make the NBA as a, a player coming out after a senior year, you're usually pretty polished. Um, you see that a lot with Keegan Murray. Um, and then now Dame, Nemhard. CJ. Yeah, Dame, CJ. Um, but yeah, usually if you come out as a senior, you're going to be pretty polished and ready, NBA ready right out of the bat, or you're not making the NBA. You played in college for four years because you weren't good enough to make the NBA. So um, doesn't surprise me that Nemhard's playing meaningful minutes for the Indiana Pacers. I just wasn't expecting him to put up, you know, he had a game where he scored 25 and had 13 assists. No, oh, he had a game where he scored 31 and had nine and eight against the Warriors with, yeah, without, without uh, Halliburton. Halliburton and Turner. Yeah. 
So, yeah, he's played very good for him. He's had a little bit of struggle last couple of games, but um, he had a really good per- – he had a good performance against the Blazers. I wouldn't say it was his best, but um, it was very – it was very manageable for the Pacers, and he kept them in the game as long as he could. They were just really shorthanded without their their star. Yeah, I mean, you might start thinking this is a Pacers podcast the way we're talking, but for the <laughs> for the Blazers, <laughs> Lillard had 21 points in his return. Simons, Lillard, and Grant all had 20-plus points, which was, you know, when that happens, it's a good sign. Um, And then Grant, Hart, and Lillard all had a plus 25, plus minus. So lots of good stuff from our starters. Um, We're usually going to win games if Lillard, Grant, and Simons are all playing well. And then if Hart's playing well, you know, rebounding on defense, then things are going to go well. Um, Yeah, and this was a game where I think Hart was a little... I, I think coming into the homestand after the road trip, uh, there was reports that Hart was a little nicked up a little bit. Um, so he's just been playing through injury and just still getting his double-digit rebounds. I think he's averaging almost close to nine rebounds a game now as a guard, which is insane. I think he's the number one wing rebounder in the NBA. So he's he's not a prolific scorer. He's not going to give you 25 to 30 a night, but he always knows what to do. Um, and he doesn't step out of his – circle um he knows what to do to win ball games yeah and he's been shooting better as of late but we'll talk about that lately and then another guy that's been shooting well Nurkic in this game you had a note that says stretch Nurk question mark but I mean I'm sure that comes from he was two for three from three 43 percent from three on the year the guy that sits in front of me in my season tickets every time Nurk shoots a three he kind of yells and he's like no and then I'm like I was with you man but the numbers are here and he's making his shots now. And then well, he's uh, already got he's already got a career high in three pointers made for a season and we're only a fourth of the way through it. So um he seems a little bit more confident with it and it's not as reluctant when he shoots it from a fan's perspective that it was a year, two years ago. He seems a lot more confident in his shot. Yeah, and Eubanks does too now. Eubanks hit a three <laughs> against Denver. I think he's, I don't know, he's one for one as a blazer. I don't know if he shot any other in his career, but that was nice. Yeah, um, it was a it was a clutch three, too. It kept this in the volume. Another thing the Blazers have been doing as of late, I know they had a season-high 32 assists in this game, but they've been moving the ball a lot lately. It was very evident in this game. Um, that probably came because before Lillard got injured again, I think we had a game where Simons and Lillard were kind of just doing iso ball, and I think we've really made an effort not to continue that, which is really nice to see, especially when we got guys like Grant playing well. Um, but the Blazers closed this win out 116 to 100, so it was a very solid win from start to finish. They did not get much help from the bench, but the starters were great. And I know you wanted to debate Sharp versus Matherin before we move on. I think we both know who's had the better year so, so far, but maybe for the future, the question is a little bit tougher. Yeah, it's a question that might be a little bit more relevant in years to come. We definitely know that Matherin's been the most polished of these two so far and has put up better numbers, but a lot of that is because of, I guess, minutes, rotation, all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think they both have opportunities to be stars in their situations. Um, and, yeah, it's a question that the Blazers can have because Matherin was the pick right in front of Sharp. It could have gone either way, um, and Matherin could have been a Blazer. So Matherin is always a guy I'll probably be looking at. Um, for stats, not only because he's on 
my second favorite team in the Pacers, but because he could have been a Blazer. Well, we really didn't have the chance to take him, but it was close. I know, I know. I, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'll do the same thing with Sohan, too, but yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Sharp, we are very high on Sharp still. At least I am. I still think he's going to be great. I think he's gone through a little bit of a slump, and I think a lot of that is because we really don't call plays for him, so he kind of has to create on his own, which I think is also different for Matherin. I think Matherin's given a lot more trust in that situation. Um and I think that I think that Sharp will never be limited by his basketball skill. He'll never be limited by his, you know, physicality. He's got the length. He's athletic. I think the one thing is that he mentally doesn't always look like he cares that much. Like I'm curious if we were in an NBA Finals game tomorrow, if he would just hustle his ass off on defense, dive after loose balls, you know, get to the rim, go to the rim hard. He just kind of looks like he's coasting out there a little bit sometimes. And I think that would be the thing that holds him back if he doesn't end up being an all-star level player one day. Yeah, but a lot of it is just because of his age as well. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, he just came out of high school. Yeah, he's supposed to be playing college basketball right now. But uh, yeah, um, you could say that he has that demeanor that Lillard and Simons have basically where they just feel like nothing makes them happy or nothing kind of brings them down at all it's kind of a very monotone face and it could be a good thing as we can see uh as a blazer fan both of those guys have turned out to be very very good and hopefully sharp has that same uh mentality later on down his career yeah i mean like you said it can be a good thing because i think sharp doesn't feel as much pressure at least he doesn't seem to get nervous but it's very funny, like Simons, Lillard, and Sharp don't show much emotion. On the other hand, Hart shows a lot of emotion. You can always tell when he's upset. Nurk, he's with the shows, refs. Nurk shows more emotion than anyone I've ever seen. When I come home to my dog and he's all happy, or when my dog is sad because I'm, you know, leaving, Nurk shows more emotion than that. I've never seen someone be so obviously upset than Nurk. <laughs> Not even my dog. So I think I think it's good. Um, I just, you know, Lillard will have those moments. He had that one block um, against, I don't know who, it was against the Spurs where he blocked a shot and then he kind of yeah. yelled into the crowd. I want to see that from Sharp. I want to see something like that just to show me that he really does care. Um, and I haven't seen that much from Anthony either, but we know Anthony has the potential to just light up a ball game at any moment so yeah i mean like we talked about beginning of the year remember that one question i had for you where it was like bench start sit simon's hero and pool like i feel like that question is non-debatable now right like what do you think it is simon's is way better than both those guys well that's what i told you at the time i know but it it was it was (laughs) it was close it was a closer question at the time of the question right and what I mean, I, I know Simons is the best, but are we saying Pool is the bench and Heroes the cut? Because uh, Pool hasn't been that great this year. Honestly, Pool's been Pool. I mean, Pool's been a lot better the last week and a half to two. Yeah, weeks. he's had some games where he exploded, but he's just had some bad games as well. Yeah, I mean, the one thing with Pool is, I mean, one thing with all three of them is just their defense is not very good. I would say with Pool and Simons, their defense is bad. Um, so I would probably take. I would probably take Hero over Pool in my in my kind of one two three, just because of a little bit more multi dimensional 
from Hero. He can play make a little bit better than Poole. Um, but Simons is definitely the start in those three where it was a lot closer at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and Hero's shooting pretty well. Um, 38% from three this year, 45 from the field, 20 points a game, 6.6 rebounds, four assists. So he's he's had a pretty good year. Um, I think I'd do the same thing. I think they all we're gonna, we're gonna have a special podcast where it's all bench start sits and we're gonna yeah, we're gonna do a deep dive on all these all these kind of close um comparisons between these players that I think would be a good pod to have. Yeah, totally agree. Maybe maybe during like all star break or something, we'll figure that out. But anyway, Blazers got the win one sixteen to one ten and then moved on to play the Nuggets a couple of nights later. This is the game we kind of already talked about as being disappointing because Jamal Murray hit that game winner. Um, but the Blazers led by 11 with 9.53 left in the fourth quarter. They'd played really well, in my opinion. They'd been moving the ball. It was just whipping around in the first half. I think they only had like two turnovers in the game with a few minutes left in the first half. And it was surprising because I, I looked up the stat thinking, wow, we've been moving the ball a lot. I wonder if we've had a lot of turnovers and we hadn't. We've just been playing really well. Um, Jokic. Yeah, there was, there was a point where Lillard had double-digit assists and no turnovers. Um, I think he had no turnovers going into the fourth quarter, so he was really moving the ball, um, starting good possessions and getting people open and not making any mistakes like he talked about. Yeah, I mean, and to put into perspective how well he shot, he, he had nine threes in this game. He had two. He had the big step back, and then he had one with like a minute left, but he had only taken like three shots like 18 minutes into the game and i don't think he had that many points at halftime and he ends with 40 points 12 assists nine threes like i mentioned best game he's had since the surgery in my in my opinion best game he's had since the denver playoff game a couple of years ago yeah since um, the shot yeah well not that not that one i mean the, <laughs> and the one where he you know went supernova and CJ stepped out of bounds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this would have been a huge game. Like you said, it would have put us in a top four seed. Um, I think the reason we lost this game, one, it started with Josh Hart slipping when he basically had a one on zero layup. Uh, I mean, that's not, it's hard to blame him. Sometimes you just slip, but that really did hurt. I don't know if the floor was wet or what was going on. Um, Lillard played well, and then Jamal Murray kind of hit the, the dagger three that I was, you know, it wasn't a great shot. He kind of dribbled out the whole clock, took a step, took a step left, step back three on Grant. Um, in my head, I know you were thinking the same thing, just no threes, no threes. That's what they got, and they hit it. And then we had point nine left. We had a timeout. We used it, and then we were inbending the ball. We had another timeout, and then we threw this weird pass to Nurk. It kind of got deflected into the backboard, and the game was over. Yeah, I mean they've done it twice this year. I think they did it. They did. They did it against Brooklyn as well, where they had about point seven, um, and they kind of went for the the alley oop Nicholas Batum kind of thing, um, where I feel like they. I mean, I know that the the team's going to be guarding Lillard, um, face guarding him to make sure he's not open. But I, they they still have time to take a a catch and shoot shot. I don't know why they're kind of going for these hero ball alley oops, um, especially to to Nurkic why why don't you have why don't you throw that up to Sharp or Grant or somebody like that well I don't think it was an alley-oop to Nurk but I think we should have taken another time out true yeah but you know what I mean right like how yeah. what was the 
the the rocket shot was point nine, right? Yeah, that was point nine. I think we should have gone to Lillard here. Um, Especially how hot he was the last two possessions. Yeah, and if he wasn't open, run another play. I think maybe the the play against Phoenix where we lopped it up to Grant, maybe we fell in love with that play, but I'd still rather have that than whatever we did against Brooklyn and Denver. But I don't know. It's not the easiest thing. I just think if it's not going well, call the timeout. But yeah, like you um, said, Simon's total dead in this game. First game all year without a three made. Yeah, um, just talked out high, highly on Simon's. But yeah, this was a really bad game for him. Only six points. Like you said, first game all year, he hasn't made a three. Um, Nurkic again, shot two for three from three. And I thought Nurkic played really well um very efficiently nine for ten from the field um he usually always plays well against denver um because of his background story but uh the difference um yeah you could say murray's last second shot but Jokic played a lot better than he did the first time around um he came out in the first quarter and took as many shots as he did in the whole game the last time he was in portland um, and he didn't he was, foul out this time so yeah and he was he was just an mvp candidate um 33 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. I thought Nurkic did an okay job on him, um, forced him to have six turnovers. I thought that was a big call at the end of the game um, with the Nurkic charge call. So I feel like he did the same thing last time uh, they were in town and they they let it go, but then they didn't let this one go. And it was kind of a big turnover for the Blazers in the fourth quarter. What, what was your perspective on that play? I think Jokic flopped harder the first time, and I think this one was closer to a foul. I think this one was pretty bang-bang. I think it could have gone either way, honestly. I just, I wish like guys wouldn't do stuff like that. But It's kind of like if you hit a guy in the first time and you flop, they're not going to call it, but I think you know, that was Nurk's third time backing into him. So I, I wasn't that upset by it. I do think, though, you know, you said Jokic was dominant. He was numbers-wise, 33-10-9, and he was really good. But I think Nurk forced him to hit these kind of weird, tough loaders. I don't think Jokic really like picked apart our defense like he does sometimes. I don't think he was like out thinking. No, this. I mean he shoots he shoots uh close to seventy percent from the field. I think he's like sixty four or sixty three percent. Um, and he was about he was fourteen for twenty five, so he was closer to fifty percent. But um, he wasn't as efficient. Um, but yeah, he was having to hit you know floaters from you know, seven to eight feet instead of having just easy put back layups that I see him put up against a lot of centers in the NBA. Yeah. And there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't the sense of like, oh my gosh, we're getting back toward every second by his passes. Gordon did get under the rim and got a couple of dunks, but he's going to do that. Um, and the Blazers moved the ball. Like I said, 30 assists in this game, another 30 assist game, which you're going to win most of the time that you get 30 assists. But unfortunately they did not tonight losing 121 to 120. A heartbreaking loss because we'd be on a four-game win streak right now if we hadn't lost this game. But like you said, the unlucky losses are going to balance out with the lucky wins, and this was just one of those unlucky losses. Yeah, um, it's a good thing that when we talk about the Minnesota game, it didn't hinder us in that game because um, you could see a game like that where we thought we were going to win. It could, it could be in the back of your mind for the next couple of games. Yeah, I agree with you, especially when we were down, you know, in the third quarter to the Wolves. But going into this game, I thought 
the way Chauncey laid into the team in the presser, I thought for sure we were going to win this game. It was closer than I wanted it to be, but, um, you know, no spoilers here. We've already, we've already said the Blazers did win this game 124-118. Lillard had another great performance with 36 points, 8 assists, and 2 steals. And this was the first time in the Blazers or in the Anthony Simons-Damian Lillard pairings history that both of them had 30 or more points. Uh, Which is, I, I thought, I thought, I, I thought, I thought that was a weird stat to look at. It seems like that's happened, like on the norm. But yeah, it's the first time they both scored over thirty, which is surprising. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what other, what other time they would have done it besides this year. Um, I would have probably hey, thought they did this year, but first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, just the consistency that you've seen from Lillard over the years, um, putting up thirty points, and then I guess the last couple of years with Anthony putting up those points, but a lot of that, like you said, has been without Lillard. So um, you would think of how many times those guys have put up 30 that they would do it together, but they haven't been on the court together a lot. So I guess it does make sense, but looking at the stat at first, it was, it was a little bit surprising. Yeah, but definitely a good sign. I mean, Lillard, like I said, 36, Anthony 31 points, only one assist. I know that bothers you. It, it bothers me too, but still at 31 points. And then, uh, Honestly, it doesn't bother me as much when Lillard's playing because I know Lillard's going to get most assists. It's when Lillard isn't playing and Anthony only has Mm -hmm. two or three assists and he's the primary ball handler. That's when it starts to bother me a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's fair for sure because he's he's the shooting guard in this role. But good win for the Blazers because Edwards, Russell and Gobert all had 24 or more points. So those are their their three kind of scorers, their three stars. Um, so definitely not like one of those guys was just ice cold. I don't know how many times in their history that's happened, but I imagine not that many. Um, the Blazers were down 10 with 448 left in the third. So good comeback win, which we've done many times this year. Um, and kind of crazy. I don't know about you, but it seems to me the stats don't back it up. I think he was like 19 of 51 from three going into the game all time against the Blazers. But it seems to me like every time we watch Edwards play, in Portland, he just lights us up with three-pointers. And he was doing that in the first half. Um, he finished four for eight from three, but I, I think he was four for four from three at first. It just seemed yeah. like he was never going to miss. Yeah, I mean, looking up, like like last night, uh, you had that comment, and then I looked it up. And Anthony Edwards has averaged the most points in his career against the Blazers, uh, close to 31. He's at 30 and a half. So it's the only team that he averages more than 30 against. So it seems like whenever he sees those, I guess it's a new color scheme, I would say, for the Blazers. But whenever he sees those colors from the Blazers, he kind of puts on a show. Um, but Yeah, you could say yeah. that or you could say uh, our guards have had bad defense. Yeah, but. for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, Anthony Edwards has kind of had a little bit of a struggle this year um, scoring the ball. I think we had that comment earlier that Anthony Edwards didn't have a dunk like through the first two weeks of the season and a lot of that is because of the spacing that Gobert gives their team um, not being able to drive like he used to when he has towns on the outside and having the whole paint open having kind of like a five out situation you can't really run that with Gobert because he just kind of clubs paint um, so he's got to shoot a little bit more and um, Anthony Edwards is a very streaky shooter he goes hot and cold very um, up and down so he had he had a good game last night kind of slowed down a little bit at the end but um, yeah I mean the Blazers defense was a little suspect uh, in the beginning of that third quarter um, and when they started to make that run they got multiple stops and that's where this whole team kind of 
comes into is if they can play on the defensive side, they have the offensive capability to play with anyone. Um, and that's where they saw kind of like that 10-point lead from the Timberwolves kind of disintegrate uh, with three or four stops in a row. Um, so when they got to 10, it was a little bit, a little bit worrisome, but they kind of pulled it out, which was the opposite of what the Denver game was. Yeah, and for those dying to know at home, Anthony Edwards has 18 dunks at this point this year, so he's not he's not still dunkless. Um, and also, when I said Gobert, Russell, and Edwards, three stars of the team, that's, you know, because Cat is out. But a few guys sitting around me at the game were like, oh, you know, good win, but Cat was out. But, I mean, it's true, but they've been better without Cat, if I'm not mistaken. They've had a lot more success um navigating on offense like you said with cat and gobert the spacing is just off and i don't which think which is interesting because like besides naz reed like their bench is atrocious like if you think the blazers bench is not very good their bench is atrocious besides naz reed yeah it's it's definitely not good they just they had a lot more depth last year i think that helped them a lot and then they give away vanderbilt they give away pat bev um I think they, I mean, they got Kyle Anderson. He's not bad, but. Yeah, but he's usually their star bench player. Yeah. So yeah. Their bench right now is very, very thin. I mean, they got Wendell Moore, the rookie playing minutes, and he's not NBA ready at all. And then I think they signed, they signed Matt Ryan from the Lakers. I didn't know when he got cut from the Lakers, but he's on their team. Kind of crazy after making that game tying shot that led to a win, but. Anyway, Blazers good defense, like you mentioned, end of the third quarter and the early fourth quarter really got us the win. Uh, other notable statistics, our bench was really good. Eubanks had multiple strong dunks and blocks. He had that dunk on Gobert that was great. He, he had a, a dunk plug. that he had a dunk that was so powerful, he bled all over Gobert. That's true. Gobert, you know, they had to sit him down and kind of <laughs> dap him up with the towels to get that that blood off, but. He was a plus 16 in this game. Uh, Watford had some solid minutes, was a plus 11. I thought 11. Watford played really, really well. Yeah, statistically, minutes, but... nothing really, but he he did play well. And uh, besides that one time when he kind of tried to take the ball up the court too quickly and lost control, he was really good. Um, yeah, I think so... Watford, like, I, I know I speak high on Winslow, um, the last pod we had, but that was over a month. <laughs> it was about a month ago. So Winslow the last month or so has not been very good. Um, he's not been it he has not been it um and i think if you want someone to kind of play the role as a a, a point four or five i think wadford gives him better minutes than winslow does in my opinion yeah and i mean this was a game where sharp played more minutes than winslow which was my bold prediction coming into the year obviously one game doesn't verify it but I do think Chauncey is catching on to that, is what I'm saying. I do think there are games that Winslow is very meaningful, and I think he probably belongs more in a playoff rotation where he's guarding a specific guy, um, you know what I mean, and just mm-hmm. taking control of the offense when Dame is out. But there are times when it just doesn't give you much because he can't shoot. You know, if he's wide open from three, he's often not even going to shoot it. Probably you know the right decision but it definitely doesn't help he's got that floater but besides that teams can kind of just back off of him um he was a minus seven in this game in those 14 minutes i believe he had i don't need to took a shot yeah probably not he was wide open twice from three and didn't shoot which you know good decision probably 
Uh, Hart was two for two from three in this game. Definitely looked good. Um, didn't hesitate on either shot. Blazers had 45 boards. I think he was three for three. In the no, two for two. Point. You sure? I, I think he made three threes. I think he made two in the fourth. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. I, I don't know how I missed that. What was the I third think, one? I thought he made two in the fourth, but I could be mistaken. Well, no, he's three for three. You're right. I just don't know when they were. But anyway, we'll um, figure that one out later. The other, the other thing I want to talk about is that Lillard had a great shooting performance against the Nuggets, but he was a little off um, shooting in this game, but he still put up 36, and a lot of that was because of how aggressive he was going to the to the lane um, and getting foul calls. He went 15 for 15 on the foul line in this game, and since he's come back from injury, he hasn't missed a free throw. I think he's 24 for 24, so um, getting to the line and knock on making wood. his free throws. I mean, I can knock on glass. Yeah, knock on glass. I mean, we can't have Dame missing free throws, but the other good thing about this game was Nurk out-rebounded Gobert, 15 boards. Gobert only had nine. Um, I think he had almost like 15 at halftime, Nurk, but Nurk, Nurk was great in this game, and the Blazers were great rebounding as a team. Yeah. Um, yeah, best team rebounding performance all year, 45 rebounds to uh, Minnesota's 28, and a lot of that was of how good the wing, the wings kind of rebounded over their wings. Um, I mean, Edwards had six, but I mean, Hart Grant had seven, Hart had eight, of course, and they held Jaden McDaniels, who averages close to five rebounds a game, to nothing. So, pretty good performance from the Blazers, um, on the defensive and offensive rebound spectrum. And I think Nurkic played really, really well for limited minutes. Did he even play in the fourth quarter? I feel like they gave all the minutes to Eubanks. I don't know if he played in the second half. No, he played in the second half. But I, okay. I don't. I think well, he they definitely didn't all, play in the fourth quarter. They gave all the fourth quarter minutes to Eubanks and Watford. So, um, I thought he played really, really well. He had a minus eight, but he didn't play like he had a minus eight. He played. I thought he played great. And shout out, shout out, Drew Eubanks. Drew Eubanks has been awesome. He, if he could just teach Nurk how to dunk, Nurk would be unbelievable. Eubanks is just a hustling dude who can not afraid to dunk over somebody. Just and always out there. And he's got the number focused. one fan in the crowd. His dad gets pumped. I have not seen his dad, but I'll have to pay dad attention gets to pumped. Him. His dad last night going crazy. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> um, But yeah, good win by the Blazers. 124-118. The Blazers play Minnesota again tomorrow at home. Followed up with a road game in San Antonio on Wednesday and then well we're doing the Texas trio so San Antonio on Wednesday Dallas on Friday and Houston on Saturday I'm gonna say that we're gonna win three out of four of those games do you do you have any thoughts on that um it's always a tough it's always a tough road trip going down to Texas and playing those teams it's easier than it's ever been though. it's easier because the Spurs are irrelevant now and um, the Rockets. And the Rockets, too. Um, but the Mavericks are playing really bad lately. Like, they, they, like we think that the Blazers can't guard anybody. They can't guard anybody either. Um, their wings and Bullock and Finney Smith have been awful this year. Um, they remind me of an old Rockets team with Harden just being the one person on their team and having people around him that just watch him dribble the whole time. And Don just puts up his numbers, but 
lately it's been not very good for the Mavericks. Um, I know he didn't play their last game and they lost by close to, they were down by almost 50 at one point, but um, yeah, it's always a tough road trip. Um, hope I think it'll be a good start to the road trip. If we finish this last game off at home, I know it's always hard. I think it probably gives an advantage to the away team having these back-to-back games, even though it is at home. Um, Cause it's always hard to beat any NBA team two nights um, in, you know, the same, the same like back-to-back game. So um, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a really important game to win the last game at home and end that on a winning homestand and then kind of go out on the road um, and set the tone uh, with the Spurs. So, yeah, I want to go three and one, um, at least three and one and four and oh, if best case scenario. I would think four and oh, if we hadn't just played the Timberwolves last night, like you're saying, it's hard to beat teams twice in a row just because they're going to make the adjustments they want. They're going to be pumped up we might kind of be more relaxed. Just statistically, it happens pretty often that these go one-on-one, um, even though it is kind of a new thing to have these happen all the time. But, yep, 3-1 and one is probably my prediction. 4-0 and would be great. 2-2 two and two would probably be a little disappointing, but comparative, compared to what we were seeing lately, 2-2 two and two wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. No. And then moving on to the rest of the NBA, uh, Carson and I kind of just want to do a little bit of a uh, – First quarter of the season wrap up. So to summarize that, just five most surprising players in each of our opinions, five most disappointing players, and then going through the NBA awards for each of us, MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, and Most Improved Player, and then Coach of the Year as well. And then we're just going to do a little bit of bonus bonus podcast coverage uh, going over the World Cup because, you know, World Cup is one of the best events in the world, and then talking a little bit of White Lotus. So moving on first to five most surprising players this year, you can start. Yeah, I mean, my fir- I mean, my guess is that we both watch a lot of basketball. We might overlap a little bit on some of these. Um, but I would say that the first thing um, that I've seen uh, is just the jump from Lori Markkinen has been a huge surprise. Um, and just the whole team, I guess, Utah um, as a whole. Um, but Laurie Markkinen, um, being there and seeing him play live, it just seems like he's really, really good. He's a really good NBA player. And the last couple of years with Chicago, doesn't seem like he was that at all. But he's playing like a player that was picked in the lottery and kind of uh, he's met his potential. I mean, he's averaging 22 points a game shooting over 50%, shooting over 40% from three, um, and has just made the Utah Jazz a relevant team for a team that we thought was going to be horrible at the beginning of the year. Yeah, was, I mean... Was he on your? Was he on yours? He is on my list, and you basically just summed it all up. Um, I was going to let you go one by one, but since he was on my list as well, I guess I'll say the same thing. A lot of people were ready to give up on marketing, I think. It was kind of like, all right, he didn't really do it in Chicago. And then he went to Cleveland, and he was good, but he wasn't great. He was playing a little bit of three. But I don't think people thought that he was going to become basically a borderline all-star, maybe shoe in for an all-star in Utah. I think he was not a throw-in in that trade, but he wasn't like the main point of it at all. And he's just been unbelievable this year. Like you said, seeing him in person, it was just different. He's just able to make these tough shots. He's so big that he can shoot over people. And I really think he's totally transformed his career. 
And I, I think it's sustainable. I, I was not so sure until I saw it in person. I think it's sustainable for sure. Maybe, you know, I maybe mean, a little bit of a drop off, but I think he's going to yeah. be a really good player. I, seeing it in person, you're like, with these Utah guys, you're like, oh man, these are two funky looking white guys. And that shoot really efficiently from three with him and Olenek. And especially with him, like when he has an open shot or he has a one-on-one coverage in the poster, like you feel very confident that he's going to make, um, he's going to make the shot. So it's been a huge jump for marketing. And that's why the success with Utah has been pretty sustainable. And um, him being a little bit banged up the last couple of games kind of hurt them a little bit. And they've kind of fallen off a tad bit with injuries to him, Clarkson and Conley, but um, he's very, very efficient. And, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be probably in the conversation of making the all-star team. It's very loaded in the West. I don't know if he's going to make it, especially being from Utah. Um, not a lot of popularity. You know that Mike Conley had a lot of – like, uh, and Mike Conley in uh, Memphis, but um, but a lot of the time a Utah star is going to not get the notoriety that somebody from Los Angeles or New York is going to get or something like that. I'm putting an East in there, but you know what I mean. Oh yeah, for sure. Lakers, yeah, not like the Lakers players that will get it. Um, I, I I agree. I think it's a little bit easier as a forward, but unless we like, you know, go through the whole list, it's kind of hard to tell if he's gonna make it. Um, he definitely deserves it. But who is your second most surprising player? Yeah, my second. Um, I think putting the Blazers in here. I think I've been really surprised. I I knew we were getting a a good player in Jeremy Grant. I thought we were getting more of a like a role player a role player two-way player that can play defense can guard basically three through five um but i didn't know you could shoot like this um definitely the best shooting performance he's had um to start any year or any year he's played in the nba um he's shooting over 45 percent from three shooting six attempts from three which is the highest he's had his whole career um averaging 22 and a half points um, getting four rebounds, three assists. So he's putting it all together. But the biggest thing has been his three-point percentage. He's in the top 10 three-point percentage in the whole NBA. Um, and he shoots it six times a game. So that's not a small sample size. Um, and I, the way he's been playing, like I think right now he's our second best player with Simons being the third. Um, but Simons definitely has more upside to be the second best player on the team. But the way that Grant's played, especially with Dame out, um, we saw him put up a couple of 30-point performances. But the way he can play offense, defense, shoot, can play make it sometimes. But just the the offensive spectrum from Grant has been tremendous all year. All that, and he can shoot the ball without even bringing it down. He catches it above his head, and he releases it without doing anything else. But I, I actually think he's been the best player on the team this year. Obviously, he's not the best player on the team, but this year he has been as far as availability and been playing on both ends of the floor. Because Lillard has had some good games, but Grant has had more good games and has been available more. Um, yeah, yeah, but I just wasn't expecting this kind of offensive explosion like Yes, he put up numbers with Detroit, but he was the only player on Detroit, right? So somebody has to score 20 points a game or 25 points a game to make sure you don't lose by 50 every night. Like, that, those teams are terrible. But to be on a team that is playoff contention, very – it has a good organization and kind of 
always is always in that playoff run um, is it was something I wasn't expecting. I was expecting him to get 15 to 15 to 18 a night, but 22 and having the capability of scoring 30 any, any given night um, it's been huge for the Blazers and has come up big for um, when Lillard's been out and when Anthony's had those rough spells um, of a couple of games this year. Yeah, I completely agree. I would probably have him on my list as well, but I was just kind of thinking outside the NBA since we've talked about him and I knew you had him, but he definitely deserves to be on there. My second most surprising player is SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, Charles Barkley cannot pronounce that, by the way, but I knew he was good. I knew he was, you know, a borderline all-star, but didn't really think he'd ever get to this level. He's, you know, starting all-star level player right now. Averaging 30.8 points per game, six assists, 4.6 rebounds, um, shooting above 50% from the field, 93% from the line on 10 attempts per game has led OKC to some wins that they probably should not have had. He's hit a couple of clutch threes, clutch step backs, um, really just taking the leap. And that's not easy to do when you've got a bunch of teammates around you that don't really provide much. Like you said, there's one side of it that a guy's going to get a lot of points if they don't have a lot of teammates that are doing anything, but he's efficiently scoring 30 points a game, which is hard to do. Um, And I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. So he's my number two most surprising player this year. Yeah, he, he, I mean, I ha- I didn't have him on my list because I have him a little bit later down the road um, when it comes to awards and stuff. But like, yeah, I mean, he's averaging close to 31 points a game. I think he has the most 30-point games in the league with him and Luca. I think they're tied. Um, he had a, a spill or a set of games where he scored over 30 and seven straight, which is really hard to do. It's really hard to score 30 points in the NBA and to do it seven nights in a row on a, with a team with not a lot of talent around him um, where you know that they're going to be looking at you uh, to kind of take you out of the offense the whole game. But, yeah, um, Super, super good and has taken the league by storm. I think he's put his name on the radar for definitely making the all-star team, probably even starting in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, for sure. Who is your third most surprising player? So, yeah, this is what I talked about with um, Halliburton. It's not surprising for me, but I know for the people that haven't been watching Halliburton's every move and watches what he eats and everything with Tyrese, like I do, um, just – has been amazing all year. Um, you watch what he eats? Oh, I'm just like, I'm kind of stalkerish when it comes to Tyrese. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I have like his, I'm I'm his number one fan. He's my favorite player in the NBA that isn't on the Blazers. So, um, I mean, it, when he came out from college, I kind of just knew that he had it. Um, and he's kind of shown it all year. I mean, he's the only player uh, in the NBA right now that is over – 20 points a game and over um, who's, who's who's leading the league in assists with scoring 20 points and top five in steals. Um, so he's getting it done on the offensive and defensive side. Um, there's no person in the NBA averaging 10 assists um, except for Tyrese who's averaging 11. So um, he's almost a whole two assists above the next person, which is Trey Young. Um, I think the numbers speak for itself. He's a winning player. And in my opinion, I think he's the best true point guard in the NBA. And he's only two and a half seasons in. No one else is averaging 10 assists. That's surprising. I guess I'm so used to Chris Paul doing that. But 
yeah, I mean, you said it best. I'm not going to be able to speak to Halberton better than you, but all around great player. Um, I, sad I just, we didn't get to see him in person, but who who do you think is playing a better point guard than him in the NBA? I mean, true point guard probably. That list is really short. If there's anyone on it, I mean, Curry is a better point guard, but not not the same type of point guard. Like like putting into perspective, like. IQ, running the offense, that kind of stuff. Like, when you think of a point guard, you think of Chris Paul. Um, you think of, like, John Stockton, those type of people. But, like, Halliburton is the best true point guard in the NBA, I think. And he, it's not like he's no slouch shooting ball as well. He's shooting over uh, – he's close to 40% from three. He's been over – oh, he's 41% from three. He shot over 40 all three years he's been in the NBA. Um, he's a 50, 40, 90 guy almost. And like he's like you said, 11 assists is nothing to be – nothing to take lightly. Um, getting 11 assists tonight is very, very hard. Um, and like you said, there's nobody in the NBA that has 10. So, um, yeah. Let me guess. Like Garland – is Garland number two and then – or number three, you said Trey's number two. Is Garland number three? I can't really think of that many guys who are two point guards. It it goes Halliburton, Young, and then Jokic, and, and then, then Doncic. Garland's got to be close, right? Uh, he averages seven point eight a game. So Garland's sixth. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I mean Halliburton might be especially two way wise because you take Trey out if you're talking about a two way point guard. So he might be one of the best point guards in the league, and I don't think a lot of people have caught on on to that. I, I'm I'm not quite the Halliburton fan you are, but I agree with you. A lot of people sleep on him, um, and I think he's very underrated. And his team's top top six in the East, and yeah, and they shouldn't be. Had, they shouldn't be. But uh, yeah, but moving on to stuff. sorry, moving on to another point guard that has surprised me, De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento, started slow. Um, Kind of had that struggling fourth quarter thing come back, especially against us in that first game. But they're fourteen and eleven now. They did put together a pretty good streak when they started shooting that beam into the sky. Five and five in the last ten. But Fox has been great. Twenty three a game, five point six assists, five rebounds, thirty seven percent from three, and over fifty percent from the field. Um, just been good all year. I think this was kind of a fork in the road year from him. Was he going to be kind of a just, you know, same as before, guy who's really fast but might not actually be the most efficient guard um, for his team. But he's really taken a leap this year. I think he's a big reason for the success, and I think his three-point shot is a big development for him. So he's my number three guy. Um, I imagine he was probably pretty close to making your list as well. Yeah, he's close to making the all-star team as well, but just the depth of the point guard position is going to be really hard um, for him. But, yeah. The thing that I've seen the, the most from is just his efficiency shooting the ball, um, shooting over 50% from the field and shooting about 17 shots a game. So um, super efficient for a guy that has the ball in his hands all the time. And it's kind of a – it kind of correlates to Halliburton as well. They kind of both got their own teams and they both put out better numbers and they're both making their teams win. When they were on the same team, they kind of butted heads a little bit, not knowing who the point guard was going to be in Sacramento. And now that Fox has his own team and Halliburton has his own team, it's kind of worked out both. It's kind of worked out for both teams, which you don't usually say that a lot of the time when it comes to trades, but this one has definitely worked out for both teams. 
as well as the Utah Cleveland trade. We've had two win-win trades this this last year. But uh moving on to your fourth surprising player of the year. Yeah, my fourth um is kind of a guy that doesn't really put up huge numbers, I would say. Um, but is just so consistent. I think he's he's close to almost like 350 straight games played. He's like Mr. Reliable, and that's Mikel Bridges, um, who's just, I would say, the top of the tier kind of wing defender, two-way player uh, in the NBA, just kind of the jump that he's made. Um, I would say scoring-wise as well with uh, and playmaking-wise without really Chris Paul being the Chris Paul that we've seen over the years and kind of Chris Paul being hurt too. But um, Mikel Bridges has just been great all year. Um, it doesn't really show, like I said, in his numbers, he's putting up 15, 5, and 4. But um, I just think the consistency of what he's been shooting, so he's shooting almost 50% from the field, making two to three threes a night, shooting about 90% from the free throw line. I just feel like he's just been huge for Phoenix to kind of stay afloat when – um, Chris Paul has been out and they've had a lot of injuries to deal with. Yeah, I mean, he's really good. I think a lot of what he does doesn't show up on the stat sheet, like you said. And if a guy's Mr. Reliable, I don't even think he's ever missed an NBA game. Is that true? Or am I? He's never missed an NBA game. I, I feel like I, I think that streak goes back to Villanova. I could be wrong, but it could be someone else I'm thinking of. I'm, I mean, that's just big. You just, especially for a guy like that, it's kind of the glue of your defense. That's just huge, and if he can shoot the three like he has been consistently, he's just a perfect three and D guy for the modern NBA. Um, I don't know if I'm surprised, but he has been very good. And with the with the Suns' lack of depth, especially, you just need that guy that's going to be there, playing three, playing defense, and shooting threes every night. So definitely deserving of that spot. My fourth spot is Anthony Davis. He didn't start start the year that well necessarily, but. At this point, averaging 27.5 per game, 12.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 60% from the field. Still struggling from three. Um, Did miss a free throw to win the game against Philly a few nights ago. That game was crazy, by the way. They were down nine with 29 seconds left. Got three steals, tied the game, then missed two free throws that could have won them the game and lost in overtime. Um, Davis also was averaging 2.3 blocks per game and 1.3 steals. Um, I think this is a big year for him because I think a lot of people thought he'd probably never be the same guy again, and it's possible he gets hurt soon and goes down that path again. But for now, he is number four on my most surprising players of the year list. And I, I don't think these are necessarily in any order, just our top five, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. I mean, Anthony Davis, I think, like you said, has been – pretty reliable for a guy that's not really reliable when it comes to injuries and stuff like that this year. And I think he's played the best that that I've seen from him from you could say the bubble. And then when he had his own team in new Orleans, but um, he's playing really good offensively, defensively. And it's kind of feels like LeBron's kind of giving him the ropes, the keys to kind of be the the leader on the team. Um, And he's played really, really well. I made a trade in my fantasy, I know I told you about it. I kind of, I traded AD for uh, Dame and RJ Barrett, which I, I feel like I would do that trade any, any, any day because I want Dame on my team. And I just don't feel like 
Anthony Davis has the the health that those two guys do, even though it's been a little bit weird with Dame this year. Um, but I don't know who who would you take in that trade scenario? Fantasy wise, I haven't really done like fantasy in a few years, but I'd say Dame. You just the thing about fantasy that I've learned is you're only as good as your guys are. Like your your team is only as good as you think they are if they're healthy come playoff time. And so that's why even if Anthony Davis is healthy all year, he's more likely to be hurt at the end of the year than other guys. So I I'd still say it's a good trade. Yeah, but it, I mean Anthony Davis played great this year and a lot of it is because of availability. We haven't seen him be available as much as we have um like the start of the season this year. But um definitely starting in that Western conference um all-star game if that was to happen oh yeah it was the end right now he's been he's been a top five player in the nba this year no Mm -hmm. question about it and then last but not least um for me i know you still to do yours mine's benedict mathrain i'm not going to talk about it too much because we already went over him but i knew he'd be good i just think this is a lot better than i expected especially you know scoring over 20 a game i don't know if he's still at that number but with how good they've been Obviously, it has to do with Halliburton averaging 18 a game right now, but I think he's my fifth most surprising player. And then last but not least for you. Yeah, uh, one thing to go with that Mathurin thing too as well is that he's one of the guys in the lottery. You can put Sharp in there as well, but he's the guy that is playing the most meaningful minutes for a team that's in a playoff run too. So, I mean, if that puts in the mind of any of the voters as well, I think Mathurin's um, – he's played great this year um and he's had a couple of games where he's not really efficient from the field but he's a guy that's super to 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 compare him to sharp sharp can like the last couple of games you can see that he's a little bit inconsistent and kind of hesitant with his shot like you're never going to find that with math and he's probably one of the most confident guys on the court any given night no matter who he's playing against um and that's the one thing i've seen from math and that is that i'm really high on yeah, no, totally agree on that. Confidence. Confidence is huge for a rookie. Um, and then last but not least from you for you, dude yeah, from Oregon. My, yeah, my last one is kind of a surprise, but I think he's kind of caught the NBA by surprise. But uh we talk about availability and that's bull bull. Um I mean the Magic aren't winning a lot of games, but they've had a lot of injuries. Um your boy Suggs gets hurt every night. Um, I know. He's had some great games, but he gets hurt all the time. Uh, Wendell Carter's been hurt a lot of the year. Paolo was hurt a little bit, but Bull Bull, who averaged five minutes his first two, three years in the NBA, um, has just been given an opportunity in Orlando and is making the most of it. I mean, he's playing 27 minutes a night, shooting about nine shots a game, close to 61% from the field, 40% from three, and he's 7'2" um doing that and he has handle and stuff like that i feel like he's probably the closest guy i'm not gonna say like talent wise but he's the closest guy to Wembenyama probably that i've seen paulo uh, wants us to think so who does paulo he said you know i'm not gonna say he's Wembenyama, but he's also <laughs> seven two and he can shoot and can rebound he can handle the ball he basically said exactly what you just said yeah but like he's been given an opportunity and he's played i think he's played really really well um we know he's a good defender because of how long he is um, getting blocks and steals and that kind of stuff. But offensive wise, like he's putting up very good numbers and 
I think he's an NBA player where people probably had different looks at him for the couple years he had in Denver. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of him personally this year, but there's been some highlights where it's like, oh my gosh, like no one's stopping that dude on the fast break. And then when he's hitting a three-point shot, you know, you just kind of have to say, you just kind of have to say, all right, well, what can we do about that? Can't even contest it. But uh, moving on to your five most disappointing players or our five most disappointing players. We have a lot of overlap here, um, but you can start. Yeah, I would say that the first thing um, I know in like injuries can be a little bit way weird when it comes to this, but I would just say that if we're looking at disappointments through the first quarter of the year, I would say that injuries has definitely played a part in it when it comes to um, key injuries to, you know, star players. When you think of uh, Cade Cunningham, LaMelo Ball, and then when it comes to like Kawhi Leonard, um, who is, I feel like they are managing his load a little bit, but I don't feel like he's as healthy as the Clippers want them to be. So um, I would say just not being able to see those guys on the court um, has kind of hurt the NBA a little bit when it comes to the young talent. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. Um, a lot of the guys on my list as well are injury-wise, you know, Chris Paul, Kawhi Leonard. I have them grouped together just because kind of for the same reason. Both just in and out of being healthy, never sure if they're 100% when they're out there. Um, so those are my 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 two first guys, Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul. Yeah. Um, my next one um, is Jabari Smith, um, the rookie from Houston, where it seems like you've seen a lot of guys come into the NBA um, on that rookie ladder. When you think of Paulo, um, like you said, Matherin, um, that have kind of come in and kind of made a key impact to their team. And I feel like the guy that we talked the most about um, coming into the draft that we thought had the most upside of anybody was Jabari. And he's kind of been the one flop, I would say, um, when it comes Not to more his- upside than Chet. <laughs> oh, we don't know. Chet might have the Bill Walton syndrome, but uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, Jabari just has not been very efficient from the field. He's only shooting 37% from the field. Um, not really able to create his own shot. Um, and being how tall is he? He's almost close to seven feet and only getting about seven rebounds a game and his team's just not doing very well. Um, I feel like he's been the one kind of rookie that hasn't lived up to the potential that you would see from a rookie uh, where he was drafted at. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I was going to put him on my list as well, but I saw him on yours. He just really hasn't done that much. I saw kind of a redraft today um, and he was like number eight. They had sharp at like three. They had Matherin pretty high. Um, I think Matherin was two, Big Hero number one. So just really has not lived up to what he could be. Um, I think it's hard to, develop in Houston though so I don't think the story has been written on him and it's only like we said we're in the first quarter of his first NBA season but for now he has been pretty disappointing um, my number two player is Trey Young hasn't been like awful statistically 27 and a half points a game but only 41% from the field 29% from three um, didn't come to his team's game when he was injured had a really awful interview and kind of said you know it's none of your business why I didn't come 
I was hurt, blah, blah, blah. Just had some reported issues with Nate McMillan. I just don't think that that looks good for him. The Hawks have not looked good lately. They did have a win tonight off of a uh, AJ Griffin game winner. Another kind rookie. of like a 180, 360 point six seconds left alley-oop thing. Yeah, that's that's what the Blazers are looking for, that kind of yeah. play. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, he's my number two just for, I think, lack of leadership and then poor shooting from three. Yeah, um, he's on my list as well. Just uh, and the one thing that you talked about when you went through the numbers is his three-point percentage. I mean, he's below 30, and for a guy that shoots a ton of threes, um, you when you look at guys that probably take the most step-in dribble into three-pointers, it's probably him, Curry, and Lillard. Um, and he's attempting so many threes and only making a small clips of them. It's just, it's not going to lead to winning basketball for him. Um, I thought that he would probably get more off the shoot, off the, off the catch, I would say with DeJounte playing, but it just doesn't seem like, um, they've kind of meshed, um, very well that I thought they, like, I thought they weren't going to be very good and they kind of lived up to it a little bit. Um, he's still getting his assists and stuff, but I just feel like he hasn't been as efficient, um, than he should be and then like you said his leadership's been really lackadaisical and not someone that you want to be he's not he doesn't have the star mentality that you want from your star on your team um and it's kind of showed for the hawks um really not being able to do anything since that eastern conference appearance and is he your third or are you just going off of mine i'm just i i mean I, I, to be honest he was probably like closer to number one Mm-hmm. when it comes to like the biggest disappointments I've seen. Um, and I think like the Hawks just, I don't think are going anywhere with the team they have constructed. And especially if he plays like this. Yeah, no, totally agree. Who is, uh, I guess my, my third guy is it's not just Reggie Bullock. It's also Dorian Finney Smith. It's more just the Mavs wings, but Reggie Bullock, 31% from the field. 28% from three, only averaging 4.6 points a game. They just need more for a guy that's supposed to be a 3 and D guy um, or two guys that are supposed to be 3 and D guys. Finney Smith is a little bit better, averaging 8.4 points a game on 33% from three and 40% from the field, but they've both just been bad. Like I think they were underrated guys in the conference finals last year, and then all of a sudden, I think They've just kind of come back down to earth. Maybe they were, you know, on a hot streak last year, or maybe they'll turn it around. But I think that that's one of the main reasons for all the Mavericks' struggles. Yeah. Um, I know that me and you are really kind of, I mean, we think that Dorian Finney-Smith as a, a really good player coming into this year, really underrated. But like you said, both of those guys have just been really underwhelming. Um, and for two guys that they play like they're usually in the top five to ten minutes per game of any player in the NBA and they're just they're just not doing anything they're just on the court and basically doing nothing um yeah uh they just need more from their wings they really just can't rely through Luca and basically Dinwiddie did put up points they need to put up double digits at least um if they're gonna be on the court for that long mm-hmm. totally agree that's kind of what they rely on they have very specific players that work in Dallas, and if they're not going to shoot well, things are not going to work. Yeah. Uh, my next one, you kind of already talked about a little bit. Um, 
and that's been Chris Paul. Just I think his age is getting to him a little bit. Um, just not being able to be the point guard that um, Phoenix wants him to be. Um, I mean, he's not even averaging 10 points a game. Um, he's below 10 points. Um, and you would think that he's probably averaging 10 assists, but he's below that as well. Um, and he's just – they've kind of let Devin Booker run the show for him. But Chris Paul, you could say that Cameron Payne's been better than him this year when he's been able to play. Um, it just seems like age is getting with him a little bit. Seems to be getting into a little bit of uh, trouble off the court as well with Kim K. So I don't know. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like he's he's in it. His game's not in it right now. Yeah, that's an ugly contract. I mean, I kind of spoke on it already. You never know what you're going to get from him. Some nights he looks good. Most nights he looks old and a little bit injured. All that really matters is if he's healthy for the playoffs. But we've seen, you know, we've had games like last year against the Pelicans when he was like, I don't know what, 14 or 14 or something going crazy. And then a couple of weeks later, he just looks awful. So he just, I don't know. I think they should just rest him if he ever feels any sort of pain. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's been in the news more for his Kanye thing than his basketball play. Yeah, that's never a good thing. Yeah, you don't want to be involved with Kanye right now. It's a little bit just out there. No, not not if you're a basketball player. <laughs> my uh, fourth and fifth guys, or I mean, I've done more than that, but my fourth and fifth grouping, I'm just going to do them together. LeBron James and Patrick Beverly. I was probably like, one of LeBron's biggest supporters growing up. I still am. He says some things sometimes that are questionable, but I still really like him. But if I'm being honest, he just hasn't been that great this year. This is the worst field goal percentage that he's had since his rookie season, which is pretty crazy considering it's still 46.3. Um, but I don't know. We we expect more from LeBron, obviously. It's still incredible that he's doing this at his age. Um, I think he's about to turn 38 and is 37 right now. He's been in the NBA longer than he's not been in the NBA. So really not trying to say, you know, he's washed or anything like that. But this has definitely been one of his worst years in a while. Kind of struggles to stay on the court. Um, I think he's kind of had this reoccurring groin injury and then other things off and on. But 25.7 points per game this year, 8.8 assists or 8.8 rebounds, 6.4 assists, but the efficiency just hasn't been there. Barely above 50% effective field goal percentage and is at 69.8% from the line, which is four percentage points from his career average. I would expect a guy to get better at free throws when you're getting older, especially when you've been in the NBA that long. doesn't really seem like that's something you need to be, you know, young and athletic for. And then Pat Bev, 4.4 points per game this year. Three, three rebounds to assist, 30% from the field, 23% from three. It's just awful. I mean, in comparison, in Minnesota last year, uh, nine points per game, shot 40% from the field, so 10% better, um, was really good in the playoffs, and he's just been nothing for them this year. What did they trade? They traded Horton Tucker and uh, the guy from Arizona, what's his name, Stanley Johnson for him, and that's just not paid off at all. Yeah, I mean Beverly's been awful. For awful, him. awful. I mean, Schroeder's been—I mean, they Schroeder's been pretty key for him actually since he's come back from injury. Then that's where they started to win a little bit. Um, but Beverly's just not putting any offensive scare into anybody really. Um, and yeah, like you said about LeBron, he's just 
he's he's putting up numbers. He's just not as efficient um, as he has been throughout his whole career. And a lot of it's just because of how many shots he's taking. Um, and I think a lot of that is because he wants to break that record sooner rather than later, in my opinion. But, I mean, the Lakers are playing a lot better than what I thought they were going to be at the beginning of the year. So, um, yeah, I would say LeBron's efficiency has been really lackadaisical. Um, but they are playing a lot better. Yeah, and, like, Patrick Beverly is just kind of a joke at this point. His quote coming into the season about you'll be playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis is what the reporter said. And he goes, they're going to be playing with me. I made the playoffs last year. They didn't. It's a difference. Like, come on, dude. You can't even shoot. You're barely at 30% from the field this season. You're averaging four points a game. And you say something like that about arguably the best player of all time. And then Anthony Davis, who's a top five player this year, just ridiculous don't say stuff like that especially when you're the one coming into a new team but yeah those are my most disappointing players so far yeah so my last one I think this is just gonna put into perspective of just how disappointing um this guy's been and Blazer fans know him well who do you think's shooting a better three-point percentage CJ McCollum or LeBron James I would think CJ considering that LeBron is at 31.8 31.8 but I imagine that's not the answer they're actually exactly the same they're both at 31.8 oh, wow. um, okay. but yeah like CJ's just he's having a terrible shooting spill like I I, he's only shooting 40% from the field shooting 31% from three Um, I would think that him starting coming into like that point guard role um, for New Orleans, you would say that his assist might be up a little bit. I mean, he averaged about 5.8 last year. He's only at 5.9. So it's not like that's gone up a little bit. Um, and just, yeah, the efficiency from him has been not that not very CJ-like. Um, I mean, he had three games um, in a row where he didn't eclipse 10 points this year. I can't remember that at all when he was in the Blazers. I feel like... If he ever had a game where he was below 10, he'd come back and put up a 30-piece. Um, but go three games in a row, just not being able to score 10 points, um, it's surprising. And to see that CJ struggles from the field, Brandon Ingram's in it, like in a, in availability to kind of be on the court with injuries and stuff, and seeing that New Orleans is the number one seed in the West is just, just super surprising for me for a team that hasn't really had their max potential when you see – two of their best three players not play the way that they should. And then one not one not playing the way that they should, and then one just being hurt. Um, so it's kind of scary to think that the Pelicans could get even better than what they are right now, which is number one in the West. They could also trade, you know, a couple of their 500 picks for somebody. So they could definitely get better. Maybe a guy like Caruso or even another star, but I doubt they'll do that. But yeah, sucks for CJ. We know he wasn't the most efficient, but this is just – Really bad efficiency. He wise. never like he never shot under thirty five percent from three as a blazer, and he's only at he's at he's at thirty one point eight. He's shooting the same as LeBron. Yeah, and I have to think he'll figure it out though. I mean, I mean, he has the last he couple games. He has he has the last couple games against Phoenix. He had a good game tonight, but before those games against Phoenix, right? He had he shot two for eleven 
five points, three for 11, seven points, three for 11, eight points. The funny thing is they won all those games. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> he's just, he's just, uh, they're, he's not being very efficient, but they're winning games. And it, I think a lot of it is because of the depth of their team. Um, Jose Alvarado is stepping up, playing good minutes for him. Um, Najah Marshall, two guys that were undrafted and are playing 20 to 25 minutes a night for him and being key contributors for him. So it's scary. I, I don't think there's any team, like there's no team in the West that has like the scare that the teams do in the East with like Boston and Milwaukee. I think the West is a lot more wide open, but going through those numbers and seeing New Orleans as the number one seed with two of their three best players not playing the way they should be is kind of scary. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I mean, obviously the West is close, so they are the number one seed, but it's not like they're, it's not like they're Boston or Milwaukee, like you said, but definitely surprising that they can do that. And they still have a lot of room to improve and even just get better chemistry wise. None of those, those guys haven't played together for that long. So scary team at West, definitely a contender, at least to make the finals, but time to do our awards, starting with MVP. Um, I mean, I don't think this is a spoiler. We both have Jason Tatum here. Obviously, has taken a leap. Seems to get somehow afraid when he plays the Warriors. He was pretty bad last night, and they got blown out. But besides that, it's just been unbelievable on both ends. Has had so many games where he's just unstoppable. Mid-range, getting to the rim, shooting three-pointers. He really looks like he's just become a superstar. I think we kind of saw that start happening last year, but I think it's really been solidified this year especially for a team that's pretty clearly the best team in the NBA for him to be the leader leader on that team. He deserves MVP in my eyes. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like Tatum um, has just been kind of unstoppable all year. And for a team that's so good um, on both sides of the ball. Um, I know that they don't put into perspective of like how he plays on defense and how his team does, but like, his team is number one in the East, number one in the NBA, um, and just he's played good all year. Um, and he's really the closest thing that I've seen to Kevin Durant, um, in my opinion. Like, I think him and Kevin Durant are kind of the two most unstoppable players because of how high their release is and how they can create their own shots. Um, but, yeah, like if we were to rank, like, the top three um, MVP candidates right now, I think – Tatum would probably be one. And then I would say some spectrum of maybe like Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, honestly. Like Kevin Durant's kept the debacle of the Brooklyn Nets afloat. So those, those would be my top three, but I think Tatum would take it just because of how he's played, how his team's played, and um, just how much better he's gotten over the years. Would you trade – Jason Tatum for Markel Fultz straight up right now? No. <laughs> Can't believe that's the thing that happened. But um, <laughs> no, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't think I'd give those same three MVPs. I don't want to give it to guys who are, you know, the Nets and Lakers aren't, as of right now, really playoff teams. I know the Nets are, but the Lakers aren't. I'd, I'd probably lean more like Luka, Jokic, Giannis type. But rookie of the year, we both have Ben Caro. I don't know if that's even besides Matherin, it's pretty much not a debate. Yeah, Carroll. it's between it's between Ben Carroll and Matherin and the 
thing you could give Matherin is just he's been available more games than Ben Carroll, but when when Ben Carroll's been on the floor, he's just been he's been the most dominant rookie by far. Yeah, twenty two a game, uh, seven boards, three point seven assists. Still hasn't developed that three point shot. Needs to do some work at the free throw line, but it's hard to do that in Orlando. Um, defensive player of the year, we did not agree. I had Brooke Lopez, um, averaging two point nine blocks per game. Milwaukee, one of the best teams in the NBA, one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, and really anchoring that team um, for a guy that you kind of probably thought was on the down, on the downtrend of his career. The fact that him uh, and Giannis, two probably two of the three best, two of the three contenders for defensive player of the year on the same team is pretty special. But I, I'm taking Brook. Yeah, um, I think Brooks played really well this year, um, especially on the defensive side and. Also on the offensive side, it seems like he's shooting really, really efficiently from three um, as well. Um, but my defensive player was AD. Um, we know he's putting up the numbers, but he's putting up close to two and a half blocks and one and a half steals a game. Um, and he just seems like he's very into it on both sides of the floor, which we haven't seen in the last couple of years from Anthony Davis. Um, and yeah, I think both times he came against the Blazers, he had four or five blocks both times so um nothing's easy when you come into the paint with anthony davis and he's staying out of foul trouble too um problem with him in previous years is that he would jump a little bit and get out of position kind of not like hassan whiteside-esque but he would get out of position more than he would stay in position and it seems like this year he's been playing um very well and he's been playing the center role for um, the Lakers where he said he didn't want to be, but he's been playing it a lot efficiently, more efficient than he did last year, for sure. Yeah, I can't argue with that one. Um, I mean, obviously he's great on both sides, but kind of anchoring the Lakers defense seems like they didn't sign many centers so that he'd be forced to play that position, but he's been great, especially lately. Um, for me, for sixth man of the year, I'm taking Malcolm Brogdon, um, kind of the biggest addition for the best team in the NBA right now. 14.1 points. 4.1 rebounds, 3.8 assists, 50% from three and from the field in only 23 minutes a game. So giving them a big spark, but I imagine he might have some playoff games where he plays, you know, 30, 40 minutes, depending on matchups. Um, I think that's just, he gives them another, another dimension. Cause when you have smart, you, you know, he's not necessarily the most reliable three point shooter is usually pretty bad. Um, and then Brogdon is very efficient has always been, you know, a guy shooting high 40s from three throughout his career. So he's my sixth man of the year. Yeah, you can't really argue with that, too, like just because of how efficient he's been, um, like you said, shooting wise and him being on the best team in the NBA. So being that guy off the bench is always a key contribute. Um, and it's kind of weird for me to say that I have two awards right now that are going to the Lakers. <laughs> Um, but my six they've been man better the, lately, though. Yeah, I mean, my sixth man of the year is surprisingly Russell Westbrook, <laughs> of just like how well he's played off the bench um, since he's gone to that role. Um, he's still being a key contributor when it comes to numbers with assists and stuff, averaging over eight since coming off the bench. Um, he's averaging fifteen, five, and eight when coming off the bench this year, which is, you know. Close to his numbers, he's averaging 14, 14 and a half, five, and eight throughout the whole year. But just off the bench, he seems a lot more confident and seems like he can run the show with maybe just him and AD 
um, and LeBron on the bench kind of, and he can just kind of run the show uh, off the bench. And he's been really, really good and actually a lot more efficient. You know, we talk a lot about him breaking a lot of shots and stuff like that. But since he's come to the bench, he's shot almost 40% from three, about 38.3. So um, he's, he's a reliable shooter off the bench so far. We don't know if it's going to last, but so far since coming off the bench, they have played a lot better and they're winning more games. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost, I want to say it's a little unfair because he's like too good to be coming off the bench, but at the same time, he was not playing well for them at all. Like people were saying he should be traded. They were better without him and he really didn't want to go to the bench. And then he did. And he's honestly had a surprisingly good attitude about it. His shot has suddenly just been good. And it's really been kind of the reason for their turnaround. But um, I don't, I, I didn't want to pick him because they're not a playoff team and I'm valuing that in my uh, Brogdon pick, but I can't argue with you on that at all. And he is the uh, like betting wise, he is the favored, the favored candidate. And a lot um, of that's probably because of the name and the Lakers. Yeah. And stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, for most improved, I have Laurie Markkinen. We we did an in-depth discussion on him earlier, so I'm not going to go too into detail. But I know you have somebody else. Yeah, my most improved was SGA, and we talked about him as well. So two guys that we think have kind of made the jump um, the biggest. I mean, Markkinen kind of coming from really not being a contributor at all for a Chicago team and now he's best player in Utah um and then SGA just the huge leap he's had um that we've seen every year from him but I feel like this year is just I mean averaging 30 points is crazy so um we've talked about them both so those are our two and then for coach of the year I'm just gonna speak for you Joe Missoula has got to be the answer right first year. yeah and he's 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 an he's technically not even their coach he's their intern coach yeah, interim, intern. interim, not intern. That would be crazy if he was an intern. Intern, but yeah. Interim, interim coach uh, because of everything that happened this summer. But the fact that he can come in and just basically didn't miss a beat. They're even better than last year. They're just dominant on both ends. Had that loss to the Warriors, but otherwise have been amazing. He's got to win coach of the year at this point. Yeah, and I would think that he's probably going to be hired full-time. I would think so, too, unless, like... <laughs> Yeah, there's no way they can go get Doka the job unless Missoula accidentally or absolutely just like flames out. But yeah, no, I, I mean, you would have time. the argument. You'd have the argument for Will Hardy um, at the beginning of the year, but they've kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, but oh, yeah, I would say. Hmm. Not now, but beginning of the yeah. year. I, I would say if we were to pick one out of the East, it would be and then out of the West, it'd be Will Hardy. Yeah, that's probably Still. that's probably true. Two Boston guys. Yeah, no, Boston. They just, I mean, two Boston assistants, right? That's that's crazy. And then yeah. Danny Ainge might be might be executive of the year from Boston as well. But moving away from basketball to the World Cup, I mean, we I know this is a basketball podcast, but we cannot talk about it. It's it's the biggest event in sports, in my opinion, or the best event. You know, it's. You got the Olympics, but the World Cup is just something else. It's been really exciting. Uh, the U.S. had a good showing. They made it out of the knockout, or they made it out of the group stage to the knockout stages. They lost a disappointing one to the Netherlands that I think they actually could have won. They had plenty of chances gifted to them by the Netherlands. 
Um, yeah. A couple of one-on-ones they missed, it, missed, and then their goals they gave up, they just were not marking the players. It wasn't like they got dominated. I actually thought they were the better team for much of that game. Yeah, I mean, the 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 thing is with, like, the U.S. is, like, yes, they played great this year, but their time to shine is going to be 2026. Like, their team's going to be so good. Um, the young guys are going to be more developed. I mean, Musa is incredible. Um, just his work ethic, just going box to box, I think is amazing. Um, just the one thing that they need to find is the striker. Their strike, they just have no one that can put in goals um, besides Pulisic, and he plays out wide. So they just need someone that's going to be the Giroud for France, or they just need someone that's going to be able to get those tap-ins and kind of create through the middle. Seems like they got a lot of talent out wide. They just they don't have that guy up the middle. And we're basically going to have home field advantage in uh, the next World Cup as well. So that's going to help. Yeah. It's going to be in Mexico, well, Canada, and the U.S., but still. Yeah, I would think that Ricardo Pepe will be our striker by then. He didn't make it this year, but I think he's going to be our striker when it comes to 2026. I, I think our – like, we, we I just for, like, the talent that we have being so young um, – I think our two like we should be probably one of the favorites when it comes to the World Cup in 2026. That's a that's a bold bold statement, but I'm no, I mean if you look you. if you look into it, like I we have so much talent coming up the realms, and like our midfield is awesome. Like Tyler Adams is awesome. Um, he has a good leader, so I I think we're really good. I think we're just too young this year. Um, we got a little tired tired legs at the end of the tournament but i think we're gonna be really good next uh next world cup and next concaf as well yeah especially if Ware and reina can take some jumps as well but yeah um, did you hear about the reina story no wasn't he a little bit hurt or was he in the doghouse i can't uh reina was more in the doghouse than hurt like he i supposedly him and tyler adams got into a heated argument at practice um where he didn't want to come off the bench that kind of stuff, and then just stop practicing, like middle, like stop training. Mm, well, that's not good. That's not, no. not a good thing to hear, hear from one of your most talented players. But uh, in the quarterfinals, Brazil, Portugal, and England, who were all, I think, favored to win in those games, all lost to Morocco, France, and Croatia. Um, Morocco, first African nation to make it to the semifinals. They've been really good defensively. Kind of just not parking the bus, but playing a defensive style and then just getting that goal that they need. But yeah, they just they, they just play they play no possession. They just let mm-hmm. the team have the whole possession and have their two or three counterattacks and it's worked for them. Second lowest per- uh, percentage of possession in the whole World Cup outside of Costa Rica who But like they're you know, like they have good players on their team. Like they have Hakimi like their their fullbacks are really good. Um they have you know they have Hakimi and the guy that plays for Bayern, who's really good, I, I, his name's too long to pronounce. Um, and then their goalie's a good goalie in the La Liga. So, like, their defense is really good. They don't have a lot of guys up front that you know the names of very well, but just their defense has pulled them through the whole World Cup. Yeah, definitely. And uh, big win over Portugal. I mean, I think a lot of people wanted to see Messi Ronaldo, but the reality is that Ronaldo wasn't actually starting. Ronaldo's these games. just not it anymore. No, he I mean he's coming in and not really doing much. He didn't do anything in that game. Um, their only real great chance was Pepe's header in the last minute, which he just tried to be way too accurate with. And, and then he blamed on the refs. 
Yeah, and then he blamed other people, but um, I mean, some of those games were amazing. The Netherlands game um, against Argentina was absolutely incredible. Two goals from their sub to tie it up. One really nice free kick with basically no time left, and then lost in penalties. Also, yeah, what do you Brazil, think? What do you think about Gakpo? Is gonna be he's gonna be your um, he's gonna be the next Man United star. So you better buy your shirts. I keep hearing that. We'll see. We keep signing these guys who just don't end up being that great for us, but we'll see. But that game was incredible. Penalty shootout was a little bit disappointing. It seems like all the shootouts, like one team misses their first two and it's over by the fourth penalty. Yeah, we haven't had like that. We haven't had, I mean, it's hard to live up um, to the Timbers shootout. It's impossible. A couple years ago, <laughs> like that's the best shootout of all time. So every single time a shootout comes up, like I'm thinking of that and it's just never going to happen. But like, yeah, like it seems like a team goes up 2-0 um, right away, and it feels like it's just the penalty shootout's over. I mean, I'd love to see one just go to six, but hopefully we get that. Um, and Messi continuing to play, which is awesome. I mean, obviously, but what I mean is, you know, he's still in the World Cup. Everyone wants to see him win, unless you're just a Messi hater. And then that Brazil-Croatia shootout, that was also a great ga- game. Neymar in his return had a really nice goal where, you know, a lot of team team passing, dribbles around the keeper, roofs it into the net and then Croatia gets kind of a shocking goal with just a few minutes left and steals the game in penalties just like the last World Cup uh, exceeding expectations so sets us up for Argentina Croatia on Tuesday at 11 and then France versus Morocco Wednesday at 11 we didn't totally talk about that France England game but England basically just gifted two penalties by France's just boneheaded plays especially the second one Harry Kane puts the first one in top left corner and then I don't know if you were thinking, but I was thinking, I don't know if I want the same guy taking both penalties. I mean, obviously, Kane's going to be I mean, a good option either like, way. Like, you're going to live and die by Kane, right? Yeah. So, like, he kind of just... Well, he kinda, it's, it's he against Maurice, though. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah, his teammate, his teammate at Tottenham. So, I mean, he, he just kind of soared a little bit. Um, what, I, I'm not going to blame it on the on the ball at all, but one thing I've seen from a lot from the world cup is like, I feel like a lot of people are missing like high, like over the bar more than usual. I feel like the ball is like, I don't know, has got helium in it or something, but <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I England definitely had their chances. Uh, I am an England supporter. So it was kind of hard watching that, but I really uh, wanted Rashford to make that free kick and he was not far off. It was, it looked good. I thought it was in. But I, I'm happy Kane missed that penalty, not somebody else, just because there was just a lot of racism yeah, I mean, that happened not, when you can't, uh, you can't like you can blame the Euros that the young guys missed the penalties and stuff, but you can't blame Kane for missing the, the like he's he's the heart and soul of the team. He's gonna take that. So um it was a hard I mean, loss. I just like as far as like what I mean though is like when Rashford and Sancho missed those in the Euros, it's just like there was a ton of racism that happened there, so I'm just glad that it was and Kane, Sokka. honestly. Yeah, and, and Sokka. Sokka is amazing. He, yeah. he, in my opinion, like Sokka out out on the right wing has played like one of the best right wingers in the whole in the whole world, um, and he's the reason why Arsenal's so good. Yeah, your uh, what are your predictions? Argentina, Croatia, and then France versus Morocco. I have a. Uh... I personally have Argentina, France, and then Argentina. I mean, I think everyone, like, if you look on paper, everyone's going to say Argentina, France, Messi, Mbappe. Um, like, it makes the most sense from a talent perspective. But Croatia made the finals last World Cup. 
They have Modric, who's arguably best midfielder of all time. So, I mean, like, I, I'm probably going to pick Argentina. I'm probably – I mean, I think the France-Morocco, like, Morocco's made an incredible run. They have a great defense. But um, during that game, uh, their last game against uh, Portugal, um, they had a couple defenders go down with injuries. So, if they're not going to be if they're not going to be fit against France like i feel like France will run all over them so i feel like France is the easy one and the Argentina Croatia is one that could go to extra time penalties um and i feel like on paper i would probably pick Argentina over them and i feel like Argentina France is a final that everyone would be happy about oh yeah and i i would just uh i don't know i'd want Argentina to win for Messi so i'm taking Argentina over France in the final yeah i you don't i mean Unless you're from France, like you don't want, you don't want the same team to win it back to back World Cups. You want somebody new to win, especially um, someone with the legacy of Messi who's never won it. It'd be cool um, to see him win it and kind of go out on top. Yeah, uh, we will see, and we'll talk about that in a future podcast. But quick little bonus bonus segment: White Lotus season finale. I know you were a little bit disappointed, but did you think it was better than season one overall? Because I, I I sure did. Yeah, I mean, I felt like it was definitely it was it was season one, but on a euphoria spectrum, right? So like they brought like sex into it a lot more. Um, I feel like this show was kind of the this and euphoria are like the two shows that just give me anxiety watching it. I don't know if it feels the same to you, but like my heart's racing like the whole time. More euphoria than this, but yeah, I mean. Season one was like the theme was money. This season it was sex. Yeah. I don't really like I haven't thought about it enough to really know what the themes are, but seems like, you know, nice guys finally won in this in this. Albie Albie in the end was Oh, well, he didn't played. win, he got played. Well he got played, but like the message was that, you know, Portia went for this kind of like badass dude. She, she okay, didn't go yeah, for the nice yeah, guy. Yeah. I, get, I get what him. you say. I get what yeah. you say with the Porsche, the Porsche, um, the Porsche storyline with him, but he got played with Lucia for sure. He did, but he knew he was getting played, and he just wanted to help her. I mean, he didn't have to make his dad do that. Um, and I think he only was like, I mean, he was interested in her, but it was only because Porsche left him. So in the end, she still realized she should have stayed with the nice guy all along. Um, and then the other theme, I mean, not even a theme, just kind of seems though like cheating on your spouse bring sexual interest back i don't know it's kind of what <laughs> happened because it was pretty implied that uh i'm terrible at remembering the names in this show but it was pretty implied ethan that ethan and um daphne hooked up when they went to that little island and then suddenly ethan's into Aubrey plaza's character again um gosh, i can't think name? of her i can't think Harper. of her name either Harper, yeah. Yeah. And then everything's all fine. So I don't really know if that was what was the the uh theme was meant to be. Um, but that's kind of how it came off. I'll probably need to think about it a little bit more, but I still think it was a lot better than season one. I think season one was great. I think this I mean season one was great because it had Sydney Sweeney in it, so uh well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think this is definitely one of my favorite series of all time. It's not it's not breaking bad level for me um at all but i i find it very entertaining it's easy to watch in my opinion i don't get quite as much anxiety as you did do but this episode was 
you know, I thought that Portia was going to get, like, potentially murdered. And then... I thought Portia was going to be the body. I don't know how, but I thought she was going to be the body at some point. Um, I'm a little disappointed of that it was Tanya and the rest of those guys. But, I mean, Portia, I, I don't remember the guy's name, but the guy that was driving Clinton. Portia back, good for him for kind of just saying here, I'm oh, going to you, oh, Jack. you should yeah, just go yeah. to the airport. Because I thought he was going to do something bad to her, but Tanya just killing all the the, the Italian mafia, the Italian mafia, mafia, and then falling off the boat to her death. A little that's I agree with you. It's a little disappointing that those were the bodies, and that that's how it happened. But I still think it was a great episode. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like looking back on it, like the first episode where they were like, they were they said bodies instead of body. Like they they only show you finding one body. So I'm like, how are they gonna put into all these storylines that more than one person being dead? Um, and it it, it was kind of the only storyline that made sense where multiple people died, um, kind of coming off the yacht and then her just falling to her death, which was it it was stupid, but like they're not. It was on like, point with her character. It was on point with her character, and it's not like she was the only returning character from season one. Um, there's no way that she was gonna be brought brought back for season three. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I would have, I would have liked a Ethan, um, outrage, um, for thinking that, um, is it, is it Chase? Is that his name? No, but okay. So his name is Cameron, but I like how you're saying you won an outrage yet. He, Ran out to the ocean and tried to beat the crap out of him. Is that no, no? I want, like I wanted like an hour. Well, I, like I wanted to kill him. You know what I mean? He tried. I mean, tried to. He tried yeah. to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it, it was a bo- like it was a the way that she killed the dudes not boring, but the way that she died was kind of boring. It just was you know a little I mean? bit like really, but my thing <laughs> is how how did those bodies wash up? Who who took those bodies and threw them in the ocean? The thing is that I know they were on, they were still on the yacht. Yeah. And then why did they wash up on the ocean? I don't think they did. They did. That's why there were multiple bodies. They said they, because I think uh, they just Tanya, pulled them out. No, no, no. Tanya was one of them. And then they were the rest of them. That's why they saw multiple bodies. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I could be wrong, but I thought there were multiple bodies in the first episode. And that's that. And she was one of them. I don't know. It seemed like they, they all the bodies were left on the yacht, and then they pulled them in. They, like they have to, they have to go in the middle of the ocean to get them, right? And then she was the only one that was found in the water. But I, I could be wrong too. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. But I, I do remember in the first episode they said bodies, but I'm not sure if we actually saw that or if they just saw Tanya and freaked out. Who was um, your, who was your favorite character this season? Or let's say, um, let's say, who do you relate with the most? Probably Albie, which is, I, I don't know if I'm... I don't think I really want to relate to anybody in this season. Yeah, I mean, you're giving me a hard question. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'd like to think I'm like the nice guy like Albie, but I don't I think I think I'm... that I probably would relate most, even though she's a girl, I'd relate most to Portia. <laughs> you just like her. <laughs> I mean, she seemed the most normal. That's true. That's right? true. So, I don't know. Did you she see seemed... uh when they were at the airport that that 
scene of Albie, Dominic, and Bert. Yeah, staring um, at the girl. Yeah, the girl walks by and they all turn their heads to look at her. It was just very good, like, metaphor yeah. for how they had not really grown and how they're all just kind of, like, looking at women objectively. I don't know. It just... It, it, those three, it's just kind of showing the generation generations being watered down a little bit as far as how they treat women you know it's getting a little bit better and better with albie but that scene was showing they still still had some improvements to be made but great show overall yeah Um, i think i i think it's one of the best shows that i've seen that has kind of been like a week to week show right because it kind of builds the anxiety a little bit more like i feel like if it was this was a show released on netflix it wouldn't be as good not at all like because like the the episode ends and then for like a week you're talking about like who's the body what do you think happens here and that kind of stuff but if it was released on netflix where you could watch them all one after one after one i feel like you don't get that like heart racing that you do um when it comes out week to week yeah no totally agree i think that that definitely is something that's kind of lost in netflix and streaming platforms these days and this it was good to just watch this week for week but any last thoughts on the white lotus before we sign off for the night uh so where does it rank on your rankings so you got breaking bad ahead of it oh not even close breaking bad and uh i mean i wouldn't say not even close but they're much better breaking bad and better call saul are just untouchable for me and this is probably number three okay you think it's better than euphoria yeah i don't even think it's close i don't think you i i like euphoria because it's filmed well it's entertaining. I don't think it's that brilliant of a show at all. Okay, I think it's close to Euphoria, um, but yeah, I think it's it's a is this show that makes you think about society. you got to open yeah you got to open your mind a little bit too as well to society like you said and also like they give you a dead body at the beginning but like throughout the season you're you're really not thinking about that dead body until like the last episode. You're kind yeah, of, it's just like a twist. Who's it going to yeah. be? And they make people rank in like power rankings of most likely to die. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, but I would think that probably season three, they've kind of, they've gone to Italy. They've gone to Hawaii. Probably thinking somewhere cold probably for season three, like Iceland or something. I don't know. I don't, maybe, but I think that they really kind of build around like the beach themed people out at the pool i don't know if it'd be as easy to film like a whole story about a hotel if everybody was inside because it was so cold but maybe did you see have you seen these places like in italy like it's like in hawaii they're like they're like real hotels that you can stay at and stuff yeah I, i've been to the uh the four seasons in maui not stayed there but i've been to it to look at it and then i've also been to sicily i did not stay at that hotel but i've been to the uh, volcano that's in the background of all the episodes so like the the hawaii one's a lot more expensive it's like i looked it up it's like 2500 to 3000 a night but like the the sicily one is like it's like 700 a night which i mean it's a lot still but like yeah it's it's also because in europe things are just cheaper yeah Yeah. but i mean it's something that i might want to go to um just for like nostalgia i hope nobody dies but (laughs) maybe um, they'll have to be our uh Row City Hoops retreat, our first one in Sicily. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> not, not a real thing, but we might have to make. I it hope one. that nobody dies or cheats on their spouses, though. Yeah, no, definitely agree. Or gets played, but 
Yeah. If you haven't watched White Lotus, sorry for the spoilers. Oh, you probably should have. We should have said spoilers, but I mean, yeah. they they should know. They should know. I mean, this is a Blazers podcast, but we got to get into the World Cup and the White it's, Lotus. When that's it's usually happening. yeah, the the two shows that we talk about usually consistently are probably going to be White Lotus and Euphoria, um, and then hopefully something else catches our eyes. But those will be the two that will probably, if we're, we're going week to week, we might break down week to week. Yep, definitely. But thank you all for listening, especially if you are not a fan of soccer or the White Lotus. Looking forward to another great week of Blazer games. Um, but have a great week, everybody. Again, this is Rippin' Hoops associated with the Row City Hoops Instagram page. Go Blazers.